Hello guys and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Back with another creator interview this week. Your host as always, Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes, joined of course by Keith. And uh, well, Keith, we've been doing the podcast so long now we can even have repeat guests. It's like forever. It does, but as long as... Oh, that doesn't sound very complimentary. <laughs> but as long as we've been doing the podcast, this man's been putting out quality work for even longer. You know, a favourite of the store for a long time, ever since those earlier days of Graffiti's Wall and These Savage Shores. He wrote, he wrote some of our favourite books of the last five years in The Many Deaths of Lila Starr, oh. before balancing his time between the big two with Catwoman, Swamp Thing, Carnage and Venom, amongst others. Exclusively signed to DC now, he is currently putting out one of the most epic runs on Detective Comics in years, all while getting ready to launch multiple creator-owned series, as well as working with Lila Starr collaborator on another Boom Studios masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It was our pleasure to host him on this podcast before. It was even more of a pleasure to host a signing with him in store. And it's a pleasure once again to welcome Ram V. Good evening, sir. Uh, hello, and the pleasure is all mine. Very nice to be chatting to both of you gentlemen again. How's the, how's the family keeping? Yeah, good. Uh, Rehan's just passed the two and a half year old mark, so uh, picking up a few words here and there, and it's a one, wonderful conversation list with the attention span of a, of a TikTok video. <laughs> I can't believe two and a half already. Yeah, yeah. Where does the, where does the time go, eh? And uh, I, I understand you've you've recently moved house, and I know that's a very stressful experience. Uh, well, we haven't moved yet. We've we've just bought the place, uh, so. All distress is waiting for me at the other end of that. Sorry, bus, I shouldn't have but... said anything wrong. <laughs> well, the fun thing is as well is that one of the last times we were chatting, you were telling me about your son was in his daredevil mode at this point of just walking up to the end of chairs and falling backwards. That's the stage my son Alfie's at at the moment in that he yeah. climbs on everything and then wants to see what the quickest way to get down from the thing he has climbed onto is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I remember distinctly thinking about this and going like, oh, so self-preservation isn't really an instinct. It's a <laughs> it's a behavior you have to learn and then your parents have to watch you like hawks until you learn it. Um, yeah, I mean, Rihan doesn't doesn't do that anymore, but um, now he's in his like, oh, can I just run at full tilt into something solid and survive mode? Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, it's good, all good, different kind of self-preservation, but he's also a bit more hardy. He's had a few spills and thrills now. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, he's just a kid with, with, like, astonishing amounts of energy that my mother now tells me, like, oh, that's exactly what you were like when you were two and a half. I was just about to ask where it was coming from, but uh, yeah, that yeah. answers that question. Yeah. And so Rahan's two and a half, and I believe... This is your eighth year in the industry now, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. 2016, so yeah. Time flying there as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't... My favorite thing to do uh, until about two years ago was be like, I've only been doing this for like... I don't know if I can stretch it to like, I've only been doing this for eight years. So. <laughs> Still a young, <laughs> fresh-faced... <laughs> I mean, I, I look at everyone who's been doing this for nine years or more, so... <laughs> There's so many contemporaries above you with uh, much longer ones, but you'll get yeah. there. You'll get there. But I mean, obviously, you're you're exclusive to DC now in terms of mm. big two output. Uh, you were obviously working on very prominent Marvel titles prior to that. I mean, what steered the decision for DC? Was it just more interest in the characters at the moment? Or was there something that particularly guided that decision? For me, uh, it was a couple of things. It was a balance of being able to do... I, like, I wanted a deal that would let me continue to do my creator-owned work. 
Um, and that was super important to me um, and frankly was one of the big swaying factors. And the other thing was because I also started my work at DC, so um, I'd had conversations there that were more sustained and longer than, than the ones I'd had at Marvel. And um, I'd already talked to a few editors and they knew what I would want to do over these couple of years. And I think that made the conversation a lot easier because it wasn't like, okay, we're going to sign Ram on an exclusive and then hope that, you know, what he wants to do is interesting for us or what we want to do is interesting for him. There was already that sort of, cool, these are all the things you want to do over the next couple of years, then why don't we sign a deal kind of thing. It brings me joy every time, you know, I pick up a DC book and swamp things in it and it's your mm. swamp thing. It's, oh, uh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, must be nice leaving that sort of mark on the thing or a, or a legacy on the thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I know, I know it's the same for me. It's the same feeling for me when people are like, oh, cool. They're going to take this thing that, that I fashioned or I had some role in fashioning. And then it's going to be, I imagine it will circle back around and hopefully I'll write the character again. But the character will have been through their own stories yeah. now that I will look at again and go like, huh, like there's a canon here that I need to catch up on. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the same, same for me with, with something like The Vigil. Uh, and then, and again, um, Dan, uh, who's, who's collaborating me on multiple with me on multiple things, also used Father Valley, who was a character I created in Catwoman. He used him in, in the Azrael book. Uh, so yeah, it, it does, it does feel a little bit like, oh, cool. Like I've been around long enough to have multiple characters that are being used by other, other writers and other artists now. I, uh, I love that sort of Azrael book of, of Dan's. Um, yeah. I wasn't, it didn't twig actually that that was your character as well. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. Phenomenal. You see, that's what I, I say about your earlier DC work. Obviously now you're much more of a well-known name and writing detective comics and things like that. For years, I used to keep saying to people like, your work was the most underrated at DC, whether it was Catwoman. Mm -hmm. I love that whole run. It was like Ocean's Eleven, you know, worked into a superhero book. It was heists and all that kind of stuff. Just mm -hmm. this like dark stuff you were doing. So obviously it's great now that because people are more, um, because they know you much more now. And we're obviously very creator driven in our store of, if you like right. this writer, check out something else. Now they can go back and check out that back catalog, which must be so yeah. satisfying. That catalog's growing by the day. Yes, but also... I put out a tweet the other day where people are like, I'm going to find everything you've ever done and read it. And then there's a small part of me that just goes like, no, don't look at anything before 2018. <laughs> I'm not the same person. That, um, uh, Justice League Dark has just been collected in an Omni, has it? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's an omnibus of it coming out I mean, very soon. All, all, all the DC stuff is post-2019. So all right, that's, well, all, that's all safe territory. Safe territory. <laughs> but yeah. my really very early work, like I made some comics in India as well. And... People have gone to like the trouble of tracking down a small indie publisher in India and go like, "Do you have Ram V's whole Agori run collected?" And they don't, they don't, they haven't collected it in a trade. So he just sells like a bundle of single issues and ships them over to people. Uh, and I'm just like, "Stop doing that! Don't, don't do it." <laughs> You're very hard on yourself. Very hard on yourself. <laughs> These things don't exist before them. But uh, yeah, no, as Keith says, there's a Justice League Dark Omnibus coming soon. I think it's called Justice League Dark by James Tinian and Ram V because obviously the, the two of you said yeah. worked on it at the time. But 
I mean, obviously, you know, Detective Comics is your big thing with DC at the moment, and you recently announced an endpoint with uh, issue ten eighty nine. Was was this the length of the run you had in mind from the start? Yes, I mean, when I went in, like my pitch literally says thirty issues. It says like twenty. I believe it says twenty eight to thirty issues. Uh, and it, it kind of breaks down what every act is going to be and how many issues there are going to be. Uh, and I think it pretty much exactly comes to that if you count the annual and the fact that the the outlaw issue one was a double sized issue as well. So it pretty much comes to exactly 30 issues. So we did toy with the idea of being like 1089 feels like such a one off number. Like I wanted to like, OK, 1090 so that whoever comes in next can start. But I think the timing also works for, for DC's bigger plans. So uh, 1089 uh, it is. And, and yeah, it was that, that was the intended run. So uh, DC's bigger plans, then uh, you're off the record here. You can... Uh... Uh, I mean, I wish I knew what they were. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> no, Had to but, try. Had to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, DC has a publishing schedule, so obviously they've got plans. I suppose, but it, it must be satisfying though that you get to dictate your endpoint. Obviously, the, I I think of the Tom King Batman run as an example. It was going to be a hundred issues. Sales maybe mm-hmm. slowed a little bit. They cut it at eighty five. Then there was a separate series. But well, I think critically and sales wise, I think Detective's been strong all the way through. So it must be great to have that. You know, just to dictate it whether it's a a round number or not. Yeah, no, and and also like I believe very strongly in being the kind of creator who leaves before they have outstayed their welcome um and and i also the my nature is to be the kind of person who is immediately enthused by the next shiny thing so um even if i wanted to i think i'm not wired to be a hundred issue run kind of person so i feel i I already feel like 30 is like okay cool Uh, i can manage 30 i can manage to think of all of that as one shape if you will so, uh, and it's always been the case with my other books as well. Like people keep asking me, like, is there going to be a volume two of these Savage Shores? I'm like, nope, never. Like it's done. It's ended. The stories, it's almost a disservice to the story's ending. If you, if you then go back and be like, cool, I'm going to do a volume two. Or if people come back and ask me like, oh, are you, is there going to be more Layla Star? Like, no, the ending doesn't quite yeah. feel the way it does. If there's going to be a second volume that comes up after that, you know? That's what I really. That's one of the reasons I really enjoy recommending Lila Star because it is a perfect. Like I remember, we were reviewing it at the time, and nearly every issue was like a pick of the month sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you were sort of like, my only disappointment is that it's the next issue is the last. But that's the format and the structure of that story: five different points yeah. in the life. Yeah. So uh, not everything has to go on forever. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like Detective's ending will deliver that manner of catharsis. Uh, at least, at least. For the character, if not the readers. <laughs> and I mean, talking about talking about endings and sticking with DC, can we can we expect to see more from the vigil? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I had conversations about this uh, earlier on. Um, I think there's very much an interest not to let that whole uh, the the we are legends, we are legends yeah. thing just be like a one off. Okay, we did something and then forgot about it. Uh, I think there's very much a drive and intent on part of DC to be like, okay, what's next for these characters? Where do we, where do they go from here? Um, and I've got plans in terms of where they go, which is 
I mean, I'd be surprised if you read the ending and didn't realize I had plans for the country. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just a question of now figuring out when uh, and in what way we come back to that. Um, obviously, I've already lined up a couple of other things that I'm doing at DC, uh, and I don't want it to be a case where I, I've said yes to too many things. Um, so... Yeah, we'll wait for a while and then we'll we'll come back to the vigil when when my schedule opens up and when the time is right for DC as well. That's good to hear because that imprint in general I thought was excellent. Spirit yeah. World was a great book. Yeah, uh, City Boy. City was Boy great. was great. Yeah, you know, and obviously the vigil. I think I even tweeted it out when I finished the vigil. I was like, these are the four best words I've read today, and it was the vigil will return. <laughs> Felt like the end of a Bond movie, Thank you know? You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, what what can you tell us, if anything at all, you know, regarding what you will be working on for DC once you finish up on Detective? Obviously, I'm guessing nothing's been fully announced, but is it going to be an ongoing? Is it some mini-series? As I say, you can um, keep your lips sealed if you need to, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel comfortable saying that uh, there are two things I will be working on. One of them will be a bigger sort of universe spanning kind of idea mm-hmm. uh and and i think that will be a longer run as well and and plugs in in interesting ways into the dcu so um that's much further ahead on the runway because it's such a big thing it'll take time to plan out and all of that and then uh i'm also doing uh, a, a mini uh that is one of those uh writer's dreams that you have when you first start making comics, which is like, I'm going to take a character no one knows about, and I'm going to reinvent them, and then everybody's going to love that character after that one. Um, I don't know about the everyone's going to love that character, but the the reinvention in itself is very exciting for me. Uh, I got into comics off of reading things like uh, Morrison's Animal Man and, and uh, Moore's Run on Swamp Thing. Um, and, you know, the, the obvious bigger reinventions as well, Sandman, Watchmen, all of that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of exciting to have the ability to go to DC and be like, hey, look, I know no one's done a story with this guy in like 20, 30 years, but um, I've got an idea that completely rethinks how you look at this character and how you perceive them and what you know about them. Um, and I first had this idea in 2019. Um, I had done one short story at DC. I walked into Jamie Rich's office at the time. He was back group editor. And I said, I have this idea. And I, I remember distinctly saying, it's very Morrison-y. And then just like went into my spiel for the, for the, for the book. And at the end of it, he looked at me and he went, you're right. It is very Morrison-y. I have no idea what you just said, <laughs> um, but it sounds cool. So let's, uh, let's keep talking. And then, you know, one thing comes up or the other and you, you, you're working on bigger books. Also, I don't think, I totally understand now, I don't think someone who had done one short story at DC launching a, character, a book on a character that no one's read in, in, you know, two decades might not be the smartest publishing move. Um, but I guess, I guess it makes a bit more sense now that, that people have seen my work and, and know what, my, what to expect from my work a little bit. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of excited to to take that up. Um, we just kicked off work on that, so I imagine that one will come up relatively soon. Hey, so he's going to keep us guessing for a month or two. 
Is that going to be a, a black label book then? Uh, I believe so, but not in the black label format. I don't think. Yeah. You can relax, Keith. Uh, <laughs> he gets those silly size books. I love them, but uh, no, the no, the only reason I ask if I was... mean, I love them too. Um, it's just uh, I feel I feel like because they come out in those sort of three big bi-monthly installations you kind of miss out on the monthly episodic nature of it. And I feel like this story particularly needs the monthly episodic yeah, nature fair. of it. Yeah, That's fair. I mean, no, the, the main reason I, I mean, imagine reading Layla star two issues at a time. That would feel weird, right? Yes. So. Two and a half issues. No, that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the main reason I asked if it was going to be black label when we, we chatted with Kyle Starks last week, he said for a while, DC's pitch for black label books was that they wanted every book to be that character's killing joke. Essentially, right. it was they wanted that to be a definitive one-shot story for a character. So he recently did Peacemaker Tries Hard, mm-hmm. and it was it was a great book. I thought you know yeah. it really built on the everything set up in the show. So I just wondered because you were saying this is maybe a a less well-known character, if this would then be the go-to book, is that the aim for this character? Well, if it is anywhere near successful at what it does, what it seeks to do then hopefully people coming to this character or people reading this book, this is the character that they will think of when this character is referenced, you know, two years, three years down the line, 10 years down the line, who knows, before he has another book. (laughs) (laughs) He, did you notice the slip there? We're getting there. We're getting there. He he and the editor of the Bat Books. And 20 years, 20 plus years. No, no, you can't, you can't, you can't draw any conclusions (laughs) because Jamie was, Pretty much the only editor I knew at DC at the time. So. Oh, okay. All right, all right. That sounds like backtracking to me. <laughs> but uh, to, to move away slightly from the DC side of stuff anyway, um, before we jump into certainly your, your work that's coming up, one thing I've always been curious about, and you're in a great position to answer this given the titles that are coming out soon, what makes you set up a book at a specific publisher? You know, you have Rare Flavors coming out through Boom, Dawn Runner is going to be a Dark Horse book. The One Hand is set up at Image. Do these publishers approach you or vice versa? Um, I mean, more recently, yes. It's from the publishers approaching me. So, um, and it's all case specific anyway. Um, with Image, I think pre-COVID, uh, Dan and I went over to the Image offices and had a chat with Eric and... and um, Image was also the first sort of indie creator-owned publisher that that took a chance on some random creator who had given them a black and white book at a at a, at a UK convention. So um, I always feel like I have a soft spot uh, in terms of publishing with Image. Uh, I, I love I love the whole model that they have there as well. Um, and so I imagine that relationship will, will continue as long as they they'll have me um, with Dark Horse. Connor Knudsen, who's my editor there on, on Dawn Runner, he was the one who found Graffiti's Wall after it was published in the UK by Unbound. Um, and he said, why is this not available in the American market? Like, what the hell? Um, and I went, well, no one bought the publishing rights for it for the American market. And then he quite literally went, okay, give me a couple of hours. And then came back two hours later and was like, oh, I just walked into Mike Richardson's office and I said, we have to publish this thing, and uh, it looks like we will. So let's publish Graffiti's Wall uh, in the U.S. with Dark Horse. And, and so that's how that um, expanded edition of the book came out. And 
And then at the end of that, Connor was like, so do you want to do any creator-owned stuff? Um, if so, you know, I'm going to be a full uh, editor from here on, and I would love to love to edit a book that, that you would pitch to us. And uh, at the time, Evan and I had already started talking about John Runner, and this was pre-COVID as well. Um, and so I went to him, I said, I have this idea. It's got mechas and kaijus, and I didn't have to finish the rest of the pitch. He was like, cool, <laughs> let's do it. Um, and and yeah, I mean, also like, have you seen Evan's art? Any, I mean, he, he Evan could draw the telephone book, and I would buy that. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's how Dawn Runner came to be at Dark Horse. Uh, and then, boom was uh, because uh, Eric Harbour and I had been chatting for quite quite some time, um, and um, Leila Star obviously happened there because of that. And then it just made complete sense for Philippe and I to come back and do another book uh, at Boom. Uh, and Boom have been lovely to work with, um, you know, even post Layla Star with all of the potential adaptations and whatnot. Um, Boom have been really supportive and encouraging. So uh, very early on, I just went like, cool, how many publishers can I publish books with? <laughs> And it's it's definitely it's definitely told to you since there. And I mean, speaking of boom and speaking of rare flavors, and I know it's I know it's sort of coming to an end. Uh, so yeah. we're not we're not. And there, I'm sure there'll be there'll be a trade. Three more issues. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I I love to cook, uh, and so it's really really it's really appealing to me, as I'm sure it's appealing to Vicky very much. Um, but are you gonna are you thinking about spinning off a cookbook from rare flavors? I mean, these are these are not particularly innovative recipes, so I don't know that me putting a cookbook out with them makes any any difference. <laughs> uh, I think the joy is in like reading these recipes and going like, "What? There's a there's a man eating demon and a documentary filmmaker running around making these." <laughs> well, that, so. that's the trick. But I mean, I think we're Alan and I are both exactly the same. Every issue we read it. We feel hungry, and then you're like, "I wonder, could I make that from this recipe?" And this, <laughs> I mean, they're all recipes that uh, you could absolutely make here uh, in the in the UK. Uh, none of those things are hard to get. None of those things are unavailable or or like uh, particularly difficult to find in this part of the world. So you could definitely make uh, a ron if you wanted to, or. or um, what was the Matania chili yeah. uh, uh, lalmas if you wanted to, or chai, which my dear wife makes every day, so it's quite nice. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, these are these are all like very ordinary foods in India. They're not they're not, um, yeah, they're not obscure or difficult to make at all. Interesting. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and I'd, I'd mentioned it to you before coming on, but you know, great work on keeping the proper spelling for flavors and yes. educating our American friends. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I love it. I've, I've been pulled up on this so many times. Is that a spelling mistake? I'm like, no, you tell me. Is that a spelling mistake? Go look at a dictionary every once in a while. <laughs> one that was one that was made at a time where, where the language was actually important. So, um, I, no, it's. I think it's partly also because writing these stories are such a cultural artifact, right? Like, so in India, they teach very much, quote unquote, the Queen's English, uh, and and they they very proud to call it that as well. So 
Um, Let's not talk about the reasons behind uh, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so, but but what that means is that, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's all very British spelling, very very sort of English spelling, if you will. Um, whereas the Americans just seem to go like, we don't pronounce it like that. Let's cut that U out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just funny to me. Uh, I love doing it. Um, gives my editors that one more thing to look out for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll move away from Rare Flavors and on to the upcoming Jewel title that you'll be working on, certainly with you know good friend and collaborator Dan Waters. So tell us about One Hand and Six Fingers. It's, uh, it's a really unique approach to storytelling comics with these two. How did the, the titles come about? Uh, so it, I quite literally had the idea for... Um, the overarching concept after reading Cormac McCarthy's Sunset Limited and listening to a podcast about post-war societies where the machine singularity happened and people didn't have to work anymore because machines made more machines that made more machines that did our jobs for us. Um, and so my brain just put the two together and came up with this with such a bleak scenario that I went, obviously, I need to write this as a book. Um, <laughs> I DM'd Dan at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. I went, hey, man, are you still up? He goes, yeah. He goes, cool, can I call you? He goes, <laughs> yeah. And then I go, we have to do this. It has to be two books. This whole idea came to me as in one piece. Um, and on a very basic level, the idea is um, I'm writing The One Hand, which has uh, a sort of very noir hard-boiled detective called Ari Nasser, who on the day of his retirement finds out that uh, a serial killer that he thought he had put away twice before in his career is now somehow the same murders are happening a third time around and he has no explanation as to why or how, despite the previous killer still being in prison. Um, and so that kind of pulls him back from the brink of retirement into like, okay, one last ride. Uh, and and my story essentially follows that rabbit hole down to its uh, end. And then with The Six Fingers, which Dan is writing with, with artist Sumit Kumar, um, you uh, uh, follow Johannes Vale, who's like a young archaeology student um, with, a, with a missing father. He's been looking for his father for years. Very unstable life, um, difficult life. Uh, and he works in hazardous conditions. He works in a power plant at times with hazardous chemicals. He keeps having these blackouts. Um, and then after one such blackout, he wakes up and thinks he might have committed a murder in this extremely ritualistic fashion and left like a unreadable cipher on the wall and has no idea why he did it, who he did it to, or when he did it. And we followed that rabbit hole down to its logical conclusion on Dan's side of the book. Um, so it's a cat and mouse game, except the cat's in one book and the mouse is in the other. Uh, very nice elevator pitch for it, actually. I mean, that, that, that's the thing, obviously, from a store point of view, I'm, I'm always saying, you know, if someone signed up for one, I'm saying you need to sign up for the other. I mean, do they, do they still stand on their own very much? Yes, so, yeah. so you, the, the, the creative storytelling challenge with this was if you read the one hand only and you read it all the way through the end it would still feel like a complete story 
And then if you read the six fingers all the way to the end, it would still feel like a complete story uh, because those characters have arcs and they have their own journeys that don't depend on information from the other book. And then you read the two books together and you realize the arcs kind of entwine like helical DNA almost. Uh, and so you get like a third story that exists in the space between these two, which is the actual truth of, of the world and, and of the scenario that these two stories are set in. Um, and it is quite, quite a revelation to have because it's not directly addressed in any of the books. And yet, if you read both of them, hopefully you've done a little bit detectiving yourself and you've put together the pieces to realize what's happening in this world. So does that mean reading order in a you know in the best case scenarios them. one one two yes. two 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 and yes. and thinking in the order that they come out and thinking yeah. really far down the line here would that be then you would put a trade paperbacks of both but maybe a hardcover that has both within or yes that is that is the current intention is to do a trade of each and then combine them uh, into a hardcover where you quite literally have to read in that reading order. Um, because also, I love the idea that every time you read a book, you know, there's, it's like this pact between the reader and the writer, right? You're doing some work, and you're forming your own ideas of what is happening in the story. And the writer depends on you to do that. Otherwise, one of us has failed at, at our job. Um, but it's interesting. No one plays with this very often. It's been done rarely in film, too, where you read one book, you make up your mind, you say, okay, A, B, C is true. And then you read the second book and go, wait, 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 wait. A, B, C are all false. What's going on? <laughs> now you have three different truths. Okay, D, E, F are the new truths. And then you read issue two of mine, you're like, wait a minute. So it's this constant reframing of what you believe to be true about these characters and about this world. Um, and it's almost like a, a, a you know, process of deduction, right? Like every detective makes assumptions and some of them turn out to not be true and you make new assumptions and, and you keep refining that process until you find the truth. Yeah, that's right up my alley, unsurprisingly so. And uh, of course, that's not the only title you have upcoming with Image with the recently announced next title in the Universal Monsters line. Oh yeah, um, so that one, it will be with Skybound, also in collaboration with Dan um, and... I pitched that idea to them before I signed up with DC for the exclusive. Uh, and so they got an interesting thing. They loved the pitch. So they came back and said, well, we still kind of want to do it. And, and I know you can't. Do you think Dan would be willing to write this? Because Dan's not an exclusive. And I went to Dan and I said, hey, Dan, because uh, I believe Dan had also been talking to them about doing a book. Um, I went, hey, this is, this is where we are. Would you want to work on it? And he, he went, which one is it? And I said, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon. He went, like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, and also, like, Creature's my favorite universal monster of the lot. Um, I think both Dan and I have very uh, competing interests in this matter. I think both our favorites are Creature and Wolfman, although I think he might love Wolfman a bit more than Creature, and I love Creature a little bit more than Wolfman. Uh -huh. Um uh, so yeah, yeah. So so that's uh, how that book sort of came about. Uh, so the concept for it is mine, uh, and without like going too deep into it, essentially it's set in the contemporary here and now, 
uh, and we follow a a, a uh, journalist who um, had a close encounter with a with a killer in her past, uh, and believes he has escaped to this unknown part of Peru, and no one else seems to be chasing him down. So she's the one who decides to do it, uh, and his method of uh, killing is to drown people. Uh, and so a spate of drownings next to the place where the Black Lagoon used to be. Uh, she's convinced it's the killer. The people there are not sure it's the sort of killer she thinks it is. And then there's someone who has lived in this forest for a very long time who is convinced that the killer is entirely someone else. So. <laughs> and you have the unenviable task of uh, following up uh, the original Universal Monsters Dracula by James Tinian and Martin Simmons. Oh, yeah, yeah. But also, like, I knew as soon as they came, they were coming up with the Universal Monster stuff, I knew James was going to pick Dracula. And I was like, cool, give me the give me the weird one. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so and, and I think they did a wonderful job, uh, especially, I think, Martin's art on that book is astounding. Um, and, and so, yeah, no, I mean... James and I, we both love this kind of old school horror, but contemporized for the here and now uh, kind of kind of uh, story. And so it's uh, less intimidating, more fun to be part of that group. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's the best way to look at it. I mean, it's, it's great from a store point of view because anybody who signed up to Dracula, as soon as you tell them, oh, the next one, is Creature from the Black Lagoon. They're like, yep, yep, I'll take that as well. So with the Universal Monsters line, there's that nostalgia, there's that, sure, you know, so people are signing up for it as almost a, as a line of comics as opposed to just picking and choosing based on creator right. or character. Which right, is... and, and yeah, I mean, as long as the creator-owned teams are like James and, and Martin or, or in this case with, with Dan and, and Matthew, um, yeah, I think... You should be picking all of them up as a line, and you should be doing them all because these are such wonderful properties, and this kind of opportunity doesn't come along very often where you've got these super influential ideas that no one's touched for years, and you're kind of getting to to come back to them now. So, I mean, there have been so many films that have been made that started out as creature uh, pitches. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Shape of Shape of Water, yeah, uh, Del started out as a as a started its life cycle as a creature from the Black Lagoon pitch as well. So, ah, yeah, yeah, the things you learn. Interesting, interesting. Every day So that takes care of Boom. That takes care of Image. Then, of course, there's Dawn Runner, which is over at Dark Horse. You really are keeping busy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm terrible at planning ahead. And and very good at saying yes to things, uh, but but John Runner's actually been probably been the idea that's been in my head the longest of of all of these. Um, I knew I wanted to make this book the moment I saw an illustration that Evan had done called Golgotha, which had this giant mech and a, and a tiny little human standing in front of it in a, in a storm or something like that. Um, it was a wonderful piece. I didn't know Evan at all. I was like, I must reach out to this person and see if they would like to make some comics. When I stalked him on Instagram, went on his website. I saw that he had uh, already made a comic before as well. So I was like, ah, someone who's clearly interested in making comics as well. And then mirac- 
miraculously, I think it was just a few weeks after, I get this email from Evan Cagle going like, hey, I just read Graffiti's Wall. Uh, from a, I bought it from a local store. And I just wanted to reach out and email you and say what I, what a wonderful thing it is. And uh, I'm an illustrator. I would love to work with you at some point. And I went like, perfect, sold. So we started talking about Dawnrunner. Um, in the meantime, other opportunities also started coming up. Like uh, Evan and I worked on a Catwoman issue as well. Um, and then Evan, I introduced him to more people at DC. He came on board to the detective covers. And this whole time we've been making Dawnrunner kind of on the side because we were asked to, to hit pause on it during the pandemic. So, so obviously took on other work and had to come back to this in between to keep it going. Um, but what that means is we've really taken our time with it. And if you look at the pages of that book, uh, it's just astounding. I think people are going to discover what Evan is capable of doing uh, when they, when they look at this book. Yeah, I mean, you you'd mentioned the detective covers. I mean, those covers had an ongoing narrative of their own. Then yeah, you, exactly. You could almost put those all together as a comic on their own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was part of the very much part, intentional part of our design aesthetic for the whole run. Uh, when I first started talking about it with uh, Jessica Chen, who was editing at the time, um, and we said, when people look at these covers, they must immediately go like, oh, that looks like an opera poster, or that looks like... Uh, an old school gothic horror novel cover, you know, um, and all we had to do was actually it's not just Evan. I mean, obviously Evan's covers are very distinct and they look amazing because he's brilliant. But it's kind of cool to have gone to all of these like really top of the line artists as well, Jim Lee, J.H. Williams, and go like, we want you to do Batman covers, but opera, and then. <laughs> You could just to see these artists go like, no one's ever asked me to do that before, and then turn in like the most amazing covers. Like JH covers have been fantastic as well. And then I remember distinctly, uh, Jim was talking to me at one of the DC parties, and he went, when Jessica sent this to me, and she went like, I want Batman, but opera. I was like, what do they do at operas? Don't operas have chandeliers? So there's literally a cover where Batman is throwing a chandelier at Two Face. Uh, all for one of the book, for one of the issues. So it's just kind of fun to see artists respond to uh, to something uh, that you thought up as well. Yeah, those DC covers. And just to to bring it back to to Dawn Runner, yeah. is, your, is your approach to to that book any different from some of your other books? Because you know most most of the stuff you do is probably aimed at maybe a slightly older audience, but Dawn Runner is intentionally solicited as as a, an all ages sci fi epic. Um, not that my approach is any different, just that I think the genre lends itself to be read in two layers. So you could read this entirely as a kaiju mecha fight book and be like, yeah, that was cool. But you could also read this as a story about people struggling to make human connections separated by a century of warfare. Um, so there's like elements of a ghost story in it. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Frequency where oh, yeah. two people communicate with each other over a radio, but also across time. time yeah. So it's got that mechanism in it uh, a little bit as well. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of, of the why and how, but um, even when I pitched it, I said, look, I want all the sort of 
bombast and gusto Pacific Rim. Um, but I also want the the nuance and the the thoughtfulness of a movie like Arrival, um, and so yeah, think of it think of it as those two things kind of smushed together to to tell you a very recognizable but also a nuanced sci-fi story. And I I, I know how previews in the previews catalog they always like to say such and such meet such and such. So maybe you've <laughs> you've written that for yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I mentioned this to, on another podcast. Uh, David Harper, who does the sketch podcast. Yeah, I said to him like, "Oh yeah, it's Pacific Rim meets Arrival," and he was like, "Sold." I'm pre-ordering the book right now. You don't need to tell me anything else. By the sound of it, what it's aiming for, and I'll be curious to know if you've you've seen it. Um, did did you manage to catch Godzilla minus one? I haven't yet, but I but I but definitely on the list. It is incredible, and it's incredible for the reasons similar to what you're, you know, aiming for with this. In that the spectacle is there, the action is there, but it's also a movie about survivors' guilt from the war and PTSD mm-hmm. from the war, and Japanese embarrassment at their part in the war and trying to rebuild their country. Mm-hmm. It's it's up there for me with Oppenheimer as the best movie of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like joking with people that Oppenheimer's the prequel. And Godzilla's the sequel. Oh yeah, um, yeah. but if you cause and effect, cause and effect, exactly. <laughs> but if you get a chance, honestly, catch it. It is like yeah, I, yeah, no, I was, I, I was genuinely in tears in the cinema for the last twenty minutes. I went on my own on a Thursday matinee. I just happened to have cover for the store. Vicky was working, and I'm so glad she wasn't there because honestly, the tears were were, were streaming. <laughs> tears were tripping you, sir. They were. They were. I've watched pretty much every Godzilla movie. In, in existence that's uh, quite nearly, undertaking I, yeah a, a very very nearly at least uh and um so this is the this is definitely something i would not miss well please please drop me a message when you do watch it um because yeah, i yeah, think I, I think it'll be right up your street um i mean the thing with don runner certainly to ask it sounds like this big epic world you're setting up um do you have a preferred length in mind i know you said you're sort of a, a 30 issue at most kind of guy but at the same time you said this has been rumbling around in your head for years. Is this, is this yeah, your epic? Yeah, so this is um, not quite. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a, a a book with that kind of length of narrative, if you will. But I think it's interesting because it's the only type of thing, uh, only book that of this sort that I've done, which is it works as a five issue volume. So it's going to be five issues. But they're they're oversized, thirty pages each. Um, so it's going to be a five-issue volume, but it leaves off at a place which feels like a, a satisfying ending, but also feels like a satisfying beginning. So um, it leaves off at a place where you could certainly come back and go like, okay, now in volume two, we follow this thread that we left you with at the end of volume one. Um, and, and I think that is certainly possible. I don't know that that would lead to 30 issues in any case, but yeah. Well, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, the the other question then, certainly to ask. I mean, you've, we've mentioned Image, we've mentioned Boom, Dark Horse, DC, but of course, you're you're part of the the setup at Distillery, um, yeah. and you know, obviously, we we had the Devil's Cut one shot came out that you know sort of showed the the breadth of the creative talent involved there, the sort of variety of the stories, and a few titles have started coming out. You know, Somna, Tula Lote, Becky Cloonan, gone yeah. from Jock. There's solicits for things like White Boat and Blood Brothers Mother and stuff like that. Yeah. When when can we expect an announcement for what you're working on? Uh, well, I imagine soon. 
Um, I've been chatting with Joel Jones about the book and, and like we're going to collaborate on it. Uh, and it's going to be a horror drama uh, thing about the nature of wealth and looking at wealth as a Lovecraftian entity. Um, ting, ting. And, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so th that's what it's going to be. Uh, we start working on that soon. Uh, so I imagine once we have a little bit of content, story content in the bag, uh, that will be that will be in solicits as well. We were we were very excited to see your name on the distillery lineup uh, mm -hmm. at the time. You know how is that? You know setting that whole thing up. Been as it as a process. I mean, I kind of I kind of joke about it, but it's entirely true. So far, all I've done is show up for all of their parties. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, when we when I signed on very early on, obviously I said yes. Um partly because Chip and David have this history of what they built with Comixology and, and, and all of that. And their, their project sounded very exciting. But also because I knew who all the other creators uh, on, the, on the roster were going to be. Uh, and I was like, man, that's cool. Like, these are all people whose work I love and admire and, and, and have read and looked at. Um, so when they came to me, I said yes. And then I said, but I've got too much shit on for like the next year or so and I can't really work on anything else. And they were like, that's fine. Uh, and then this year comes around and I'm like, ah, February. They're like, you better start now. We, you, you've already been to like three end of the year parties with us. You better start working on this. Um, yeah, yeah. So I imagine we'll be starting on it soon. I have to admit that when Distillery was announced, it was massive excitement because of the the talent involved, yourself, Tinian, Snyder, Azarello, Rizzo, you know, Joel Jones, you know, the names just roll off the tongue. But there was a part of me that wondered if down the line you guys were going to be exclusive to Distillery because obviously it's your own thing that you've helped set up and it's creator-driven and it's 100%, you know, creative rights and, and things like that. So do you think the comic industry is going that way that, you know, we, we've seen... Jeff Johns and Gary Frank and Ivan Rice all set up as Ghost Machine at Image and they're exclusive to that now. They're not working mm. on anything for the big two. We're, we're sort of seeing it more and more. Do you think the industry will go that way eventually? I mean, I'm very hesitant to talk about the industry as if it is some sort of organized intelligent entity. Um, I don't, I think trends happen. I think people follow trends um, and as usual, when something like this starts up, there will be definitely groups of people who try it. Each will have their own formula, have their own way, and then some of them will, will sustain and exist 10 years down the line, and some of them won't. Um, I think the age of the creator who does not own their own work is well and truly gone. Um, I think that might still be a way for a lot of people to get in, but even that, to me, looks and feels very exploitative. Um, and, you know, I've had that my share of that with certain publishers to where I've certainly gone and said, like, look, I don't do this kind of work anymore. Um, and, and so I think that is certainly something we will see from a lot of creators. Um, I don't know that uh, being exclusive to your own publishing thing unless you're doing anything beyond publishing comics with it 
makes a lot of sense uh, as a creator just because you have a lot more bandwidth than that and you want to do at least i want to do i want to do crazy things i don't want to just make comic books all the time i don't want to um just write in the format that everyone's been writing for decades and like yeah i want to do things like make two books one with a completely different creator own team that tell three stories i want to I want to do a comic book that's also a, a YouTube series that's also a collected coffee book. Uh, you know, you like, want to experiment and play. You want to yeah, do you know, a exactly. a cookbook spinoff from Rare Flavors. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I think the intention was to go to uh, a chef, one of these like Instagram chefs who I love and follow, and then go like, "Cool, do you want to read this comic and make some of the food on here?" So I'm sure there's like stuff like that in the works anyway, but. Um, yeah, I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to necessarily uh, uh, limit myself in 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 any way that seems unnecessary. And it seems unnecessary to if if distillery is the best creator-owned deal on offer, then why would I go anywhere else? The exclusivity is already already built in, um, and and at this point in time, because the creators have equity in the company, it it does it does look and feel that way. So. Um, but that's not something that is, you know, written into the contract. That's not something that someone calls me up and like, why are you doing this series of YouTube videos now, Ram? Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Great. Well, I, I, I don't know which way the industry is going. I know which way I'm going, which is, I have no idea where I will be five <laughs> months from now. Well, it's interesting with Distillery as well, because I sort of likened it, certainly when the Devil's Cut came out and I was chatting with customers and the creative talent involved and so forth, I sort of heralded it a, li a little bit like Image, mm -hmm. except whereas Image was very um, artist-driven. Obviously, there are artists involved in distillery from the ground up, but it's very writer-driven, mm -hmm. I think, by comparison as well. So, But yeah, Image have been around you know, 30 years, and uh, there's still plenty of other comic books coming out. So as you say, there's there's clearly an appetite and room for all these different publishers. So, Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, people love, discussing everything around what I like to call the eye of the duck, um, which is, which I believe is a David Lynch term. Because whenever you look at the painting, you're, you're always looking for the eye of the duck. The, the thing that is innocuous on its own, but the entire painting is built around the fact that everyone's looking at this eye of the duck, if you will. <laughs> uh, and so when people talk about publishing and when people talk about creative fields, often the conversation is about like, okay, who has the rights and what's the format and what's the page size, all of that. Um, but it, if you actually look at it, the eye of the duck is cool. How good are the stories? How good are the, how good is the, is the, is the content? How good is what I'm reading? Uh, and I think to me, something like distillery is interesting because I would, I would pick up an uh, a an Azarello Riso book with my eyes closed and go, this is probably better than ninety percent of whatever else I could have picked up today. Um, and and I I could say that about creators like Jock, creators like Scott Snyder, creators like Lisa Wood, in, in terms of the kind of books that they make. Um, and so I think that is interesting to have a publisher whose name is immediately like, okay, this is going to be this kind of quality of work. Um, and that's harder to build. And, and that, that was part of the reason, like I said, I was very excited to get on board was 
I could look at that list of creators and go like, okay, I can expect everything that comes out of this to be of high quality. That's yeah. nice. We are very much looking forward to what's coming out from your good self. Very much so. And uh... yeah, thank you. I mean, the I know I know what my who my collaborators are. So my second book is probably going to be with Lee Garvit. Um, very excited to do that one. Uh, it's a departure for me, not the kind of story that I'm known for. Uh, so that will be that will be fun to do. And then probably the third book will be with uh, with uh, Tula Lote um, and her just amazing art so um yeah very very excited to to get those uh underway over the next couple of years generally you're you seem you seem busier than than you have ever been ram uh and that i mean that that's a good thing uh you've got you've got a two and a half year old you've got a new house are you are you traveling much are you are you getting to to cons across the place or are you are you trying to trying to stay settled in one place a little more um I would have been traveling if Royal Mail hadn't lost my travel document. Uh, and now I have to go through the process of waiting for six months for them to issue me another one. Oh, no! Uh, so uh, I, am, I am on enforced uh, no-fly uh, uh, period because, uh, yeah, yeah. I sent, my, I sent my ID document to get a driver's license made. Got my driver's license. Lost my ID document. Thank you. Oh, no. No, as far as I know, you only need your driver's license to fly over to Belfast. So anytime you want to come and visit us, you're more than welcome. Okay, great. Yeah, Belfast, no problem. Uh, any, anywhere outside of the UK is a problem. <laughs> well, clearly what we're learning is someone at Royal Mail is a fan of your work, wants you to not travel, and wants you to stay indoors and uh, continue pumping out the great work. Um, so. Sounds great. I mean, with, with, that, with that, obviously, your, your creative busyness, are you still getting a chance to enjoy reading anything yourself? Oh yeah, I read. I read pretty regularly. Um, I'm reading some Brian Evanson short stories. I'm reading, um, rereading King in Yellow by by Robert Chambers now. Huh? Um, and yeah, I just actually quite recently picked up a couple of new novellas as well. So I'm kind of kind of interested to get into them. In terms of comics, I'm reading uh, Gods. John oh Hickman. yes, yeah. Um, Are you and... enjoying that? Yeah, yeah, I've I've been a Hickman fan for for quite some time. Yes, uh, I've very hardly read anything by him that I didn't enjoy on some level. Um, although still a kind of bigger uh, fan of his creator own stuff, Black Monday Murders, East of West. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I keep I keep sort of current on everything he's doing. Uh, I keep current on a lot of Karen Gillan stuff, a lot of Al Ewing stuff, um, but also. To speak of people who aren't already ridiculously famous, um, uh, uh, I've, I've loved Jed McKay's stuff at Marvel. Oh yeah. Recently. yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, and then uh, Denise Campbell, who's been a, a longtime friend, did Twentieth Century Men, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, uh, and is doing more stuff at Marvel now. So I haven't caught up on this Marvel work, but but I intend to. Are, uh, yeah, absolutely loving loving Jed McKay's stuff, Avengers and Moon Knight. Uh, absolutely uh, loving Gods as well at the minute, and uh, I'm sure you read Decorum. Yes, yes, the the one he did with Mike Huddleston. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Great, amazing book. book. And actually, uh, when the French edition for for Leila Star was being talked about, uh, uh, in order to sway our decision, I think Urban sent over 
their French edition of Decorum, which is just like the most gorgeous. Also, because clearly, you know, Hickman's obsession with design, uh, just the most beautifully designed hardcover uh, as well. So we looked at it and I went like, yeah, 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 one day. I'm going to get my book to look like that one. <laughs> and I was wondering, I was reading the latest issue of Kyle Higgins' Deep Cuts, mm. uh, which is always, it's all jazz musicians, and it, it, yeah. it cast my mind back to, to Blue and Green. I was wondering, have you been have you been picking that up? Or? I haven't, uh, um, but I've heard of it. Um, but yeah, just too many, too many comics. Um, and I have to, I very intentionally try to balance my reading between comics and prose, because I think my writing style comes from like an amalgamation of both. So I can almost like feel it in my work if I've not read enough prose or I've not read yeah. enough comics at any point in time. It's yeah. kind of like kind of like watching your diet, making sure you're getting the right balance of things, balancing all things, Ram, yeah. balancing all yeah. things. Perfectly yeah. balanced as all things should be. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure catching up. Of course, Ram, you know it's um, Thank you. as I say, yeah. it was. People still talk about the signing at the store and great time that was. And the best part is I hang the posters up in the store after the signings and the amount of people who look at it and then go, damn, I missed that. But I'm sure we'll have you back at some I'm point. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll have <laughs> another signing at some point. Excellent. Well, just to throw down very, very quickly for Ram's upcoming work. So uh, One Hand actually hits stores next week, yep. uh, February 7th. And then is it going to be every two weeks? So February 21st is Six Fingers number yep, one and then, then it's at the after that excellent yep. so great uh very house of x powers of 10 uh -huh. type release schedule right here <laughs> uh then of course we've got dawn runner with evan kegel coming out march 20th and uh one i wanted to definitely put a bit of attention on is april 9th sees the release of the vigil trade paperback so oh, yeah. uh, definitely be picking that up so as i say ram fantastic catching up with you yeah, cheers man. for coming on and uh thank you really thank looking you, forward to all the upcoming work so it's, uh, yeah lovely to see you and uh, and good luck with everything best to the family best with the new house thank uh, you and and my my best wishes to to you and yours as well yeah both of you brilliant we'll look forward to the next time pleasure as always sir thank you